Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andre Degler, and today we are going to talk about 1 billion euros for European moonshots, about moving money without actually moving money, and much more. Later in the show, I will also play an interview with Frédéric Mazella, uh, the co-founder of Blablacar and co-president at uh, France Digital. Now, let me walk you through a couple of European tech news stories of the week that I found interesting. First up, Daniel Ek, the co-founder and CEO of Spotify, has made a big announcement this week. Speaking at a Node by Slosh event, he pledged 1 billion euros of his own wealth to invest in European deep tech projects with ambitious goals, that is, moonshots. Let me play you a fragment of the announcement so that you can hear it firsthand. Take this for a fact. We have now more than 2 million scientists in Europe. And we have an educational system that produces better outcomes than the US. And we have now more companies that started than ever before. And the value of venture capital deal making has increased over six times over the last decade. And the number of deals have increased by almost two times here. And it also excites me that right now on this Zoom call, we've gathered some of the most inventive minds in the world, and especially here in Europe. We have the risk takers who can make something from nothing and I think together build the new European dream. But despite the ingredients we already have here in Europe, we're still not realizing our full potential. So why not? Well, uh, for one, I think our thinking can still be too short term, and we tend to be hesitant to take the risks involved in sticking out on our own and embracing the unknown. And I think time and time again, we see our brilliant entrepreneurs still handing over their companies to the largest bidder before their ideas have ever been fully realized, or indeed, even before they have time to evolve into something even more promising. And I think too often we see all the well-educated talent I've spoken about in max exodus to the US. So if you look at almost any specialty, take AI for example, you'll find representatives of every country in Europe often leading those teams at your Googles, Facebooks, Apples, Teslas, and Amazons. So you got names like Jeffrey Hinton, Demis Asavis, Jan-Andre LeCun, Andre Kapothi, and John Jandria, just to name a few. And I get really frustrated when I see European entrepreneurs giving up on their amazing visions by selling very early in the process to bigger non-European companies. Or when some of the most promising tech talent in the world automatically leaves Europe because they don't feel valued here or because there's no company in Europe that matches their ambition. We need more super companies that raise the bar and can act as an inspiration. In fact, Spotify wouldn't be where we are today, the global leader in audio, if we had listened to the many people who said that we should sell. And I understand, of course, that it was a lot more difficult to say that in our earlier days when we were smaller and our future was more uncertain. But I've been blunt about this point in the past. Don't sell. But even more importantly, don't sell early. Europe is more than ready to have more big companies of its own. More companies like Spotify, Klarna, Zalando, Adyen, just to mention a few. But in order for that to happen, I think Europe needs to raise its ambition. Europe needs more super companies, both for the ecosystem to develop and thrive, but I think more importantly, if we're going to have any chance to tackle the infinitely complex problems that our society is dealing with at the moment. And long term, I believe the model we need is one where different stakeholders, including companies, governments, academic institutions, nonprofits, and investors of all kinds work together, can be the centerpiece of our efforts here in Europe. 
And I think this is hugely important, and it's something that I believe can be uniquely European. But I also think in the short term, it's up to the entrepreneurial spirit in each and every one of us to do our part to raise the ambition and get the snowball to roll faster. And I want to do my part. We all know that one of the greatest challenges is access to capital. And that is why I'm sharing today that I will devote 1 billion euro of my personal resources to enable the ecosystem of builders to achieve this European dream over the next decade. And I will do so by funding so-called moonshots, focusing on the deep technology necessary to make a significant positive dent and work with scientists, entrepreneurs, investors, and governments to do so. Before we go to the Q&A, let me just say that I'm well aware that what I just shared will probably create some attention. And if you know me well, I prefer to avoid attention. But I also believe it's hypocritical to promote and encourage entrepreneurship and not invest in it personally. So put your money where your mouth is, as they say. And I think the ingredients are here. We just have to put it together and then we have to nourish it. And I think entrepreneurship is at the very center of this. And just like we did and will continue to do with Spotify, I hope that you will believe in what you're building and dare to take it all the way, even if the road to that destination doesn't always look easy. And if you're an entrepreneur or a scientist working on a big problem, I believe Europe will, even more than it already is, become an amazing place for you to build your company and to have impact. And I want to do my part to help. So, according to Forbes, X net worth is at about 3.6 billion US dollars, which means that he is going to deploy a third of his fortune with this initiative. And this is not X's first foray into investing, I have to say. Uh, previously, he and his wife, Sophia, have mostly been interested in health tech. Namely, they invested in the telemedicine startup Cree and medtech company Wear Labs. Eck also co-founded and invested in a medical AI startup called called HJN Sverige. In addition to that, Ek is an investor in the UK-based online housing marketplace student.com. This time, the entrepreneur said that he wants to work with scientists, investors, and governments to deploy his funds within the next 10 years. As Mike Butcher of TechCrunch reports, it seems like Shaquille Khan, an early investor in Spotify, will also be involved in uh, this deployment. On the day of the announcement, Ek retweeted uh, Khan's tweet saying that, I quote, I guess it is time to come out of retirement then, the quote ends. So I'm very curious to see the first moonshots that will be funded by Ek and Khan and whoever else uh, will be there to look at them. And I'm also looking forward very much to maybe seeing more European entrepreneurs doing something similar in the following months and years, because I do think that it's certainly a good thing for the ecosystem and it is a great way to achieve better outcomes for European entrepreneurship. Now, next story uh, is uh, TransferWise. TransferWise, the British-Estonian fintech scale-up, it has announced the results of the past financial year and these results look actually pretty good. Now, just to make it clear, it's the UK financial year that we are talking here and this is a year that ended in March 2020. And in case you've missed it, TransferWise is a fintech company centered around inexpensive cross-currency money transfers. Its transfer fees are usually lower than 
those of traditional banks thanks to a different model and the model is pretty much the same as the so-called Hawala uh, which is known since the 8th century of so in some parts of the world and the idea here is what I mentioned at the beginning of the show is to move money without actually moving money at all. So let's say I am here in the Netherlands, want to send 1,000 euros to my mom in Ukraine. That would cost me quite a bit with a traditional bank, so instead I find someone in Ukraine who needs to send the same amount of money in the opposite direction. Then we just agree and this person transfers the money locally to my mom and I transfer the money locally to the receiver that was supposed to receive the money from this person. Now this is what TransferWise does but at a huge scale at the same time as as far as I understand it also holds pools of money in each of its supported currencies to balance uh, this sort of uneven demand between different markets. And in the fiscal year of 2020 it converted an equivalent of 42 billion pounds between different currencies. That's a really, really, really big amount. Further, uh, TransferWise reported a 70% rise in revenue to hit some 300 million pounds and a nice little net profit of 21.3 million pounds. It marks the company's fourth year of being profitable as it expands into areas other than money transfers. But anyway, money transfers, uh, this uh, Hawala-like system, still contributes slightly more than half of the total revenue of TransferWise. And to illustrate this, TransferWise is also reporting that it holds about two billion pounds in borderless accounts with uh, 107,000 businesses onboarded in the financial year for its TransferWise for Business service. Now, actually, what I didn't know, by the way, about uh, TransferWise and its products is that it does have a separate product for banks. That's basically an API that any bank can connect to and offer their customers reasonably priced money transfers powered by TransferWise. And not surprisingly, perhaps, it seems like most of the banks willing to make use of this API are challenger banks. So TransferWise website shows that it powers transfers for N26, uh, for more Monzo, Bunk, Novo, Stanford Federal Credit Union, and the French group BPCE. So the company now says that it supports 2,500 currency routes and 54 currencies in total, and uh, 2,500 is actually less than 54 squared, which means that some of these currencies only work one way. And one of the examples here is Ukrainian hryvnia, which I uh, have experienced uh, myself. You can send money into Ukraine, but you cannot actually send money out of Ukraine, and there are more currencies and countries that work this way on the platform. So the company now also employs more than 2,200 staff across 14 offices around the globe. So a great piece of news for uh, TransferWise and a really good year. So now it's time to move on with today's agenda and let me play you an interview that was recorded by uh, Robin Wouters uh, with Frederic Mazella, a co-founder of Blablacar and co-president of France Digital. So this is Robin Walters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, from Paris uh, by a very well-known French entrepreneur and angel investor, and also the co-president of France Digital, uh, Frédéric Mazella, uh, who was also, I just learned, uh, trained as a classical pianist. Frédéric, thank you for uh, joining us uh, on the podcast. And tell us, were you actually trained as a pianist, which I read on your Wikipedia profile? Yes, this is true, even though it's not... Well, maybe it helps me in my life uh, also as a... Uh, in the digital life. But yeah, it's true. No, I, I studied piano for like 15 years. I went to the Conservatoire Supérieur in, in Paris for Hello. piano. 
And uh, no, no, yeah, and I, I love it. I love music. And actually, I think it helped me in um, aiming for excellence and also uh, the rigor uh, for, uh, you know, when you play, there's no uh, mistake allowed. So yeah, it Wow, it's great to know. That was a fun fact that I learned today. <laughs> so it's always good to know. Uh, you're, of course, uh, the co-founder and president of a very well-known company called Blablacar, uh, one of the European tech leaders. Uh, you're also the co-president of France Digital, uh, which is an organization that you know wants to help the, the French ecosystem and the wider uh, European tech ecosystem scale up. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your involvement uh, with uh, both the company and your organization, just for, for context. Um, so yeah, I'm involved uh, deeply um, with France Digital today uh, in order to help the ecosystem grow. We need more scale-ups. We need a tech ecosystem in Europe which is stronger than what it is today in order to be able to compete with uh, the American ones and the Chinese ones. And uh, regarding BlaBlaCar, so I founded the company. It was uh, 15 years ago, and uh, now it's uh, the world leader in carpooling. We are in 22 countries uh, with a community of nearly 100 million people. So the COVID crisis has been a special event, but we are back on track now, uh, much better than we anticipated, actually, because it's a community service and people are helping each other in times of crisis. It really works. But what I was wondering, and I've been meaning to ask you this, because, you know, with BlaBlaCar, you have your hands full. You also do angel investments. You're very active in the in the French tech scene. Uh, how do you have time for something like France Digital? And why is it so important for you to get involved in something like that? Well, it, what I like in this organization, it's that uh, we do actions which are necessary, but which no one would do if we weren't here. Uh, so we are financed by the entire ecosystem itself. So we've got a lot of sponsors, so mainly uh, the, also the big tech companies uh, and also the, um, the startups themselves. And we do a sort of uh, an education uh, and a synthesis of what we think and know is useful for the uh, ecosystem itself to help it grow. And uh, what I like, as always, is to do something that, um, that hasn't been done already. And so we are living this transformation, this uh, digital transformation, and we need to make sure it's understood, the right decisions are taken, including uh, from the regulator. Um, and so we discuss a lot with the people who make the laws, the future laws, to make sure that uh, it actually uh, helps the digital European digital ecosystem to grow. Great. And can you tell us some of the achievements you've already had to date? With France Digital, some of the changes that you've proposed that have already happened? Well, during the crisis, there's been um, lots of uh, things we've done, uh, supporting the um, the startups themselves when they had difficulties, uh, helping the government, identifying where to uh, place some money. Uh, also, like uh, for for the investment itself, uh, we discussed a lot to make sure that uh, it was uh, easier for business angels to invest in the year and uh, encouraged by the by the taxes uh, to invest in uh, in startups. So to reduce the taxes when you invest in in startups. Uh, so these kind of uh, achievements have been. Uh, discussed over the past months. So there's been a lot since the creation of the, the organization, and we've got a lot of uh, discussions ongoing as well. Great. Uh, well, it's not uh, much of a secret that France has really been scaling up its uh, tech ecosystem locally uh, quite nicely in the last, uh, I would say, 10 to 15 years. It's come quite a long way, um, but there, there are certainly also challenges uh, that still remain. And as an insider of the French tech ecosystem, my question to you is, uh, what are some of the things that you're most positive about, but also what are some of the, 
the barriers that still exist and what are some of the problems that you still need to solve to to get to the next level, essentially. So um, what I see as very positive is that we now are able to create global tech companies out of uh, Paris. So BlaBlaCar is one example, but we've got a, a dozen others. Uh, where, like, for example, um, at BlaBlaCar, we've got 45 nationalities. So we knew that Paris was able to attract people from just about anywhere on Earth. But now it's also able to attract talent from just about anywhere on Earth with the advantage of being in Paris, but also uh, with the advantage of having this uh, tech ecosystem, which is booming with Station F, which is now the largest uh, startup incubator uh, in the world. So we've been able to have uh, an attractive ecosystem for, for talent. Uh, and it's really uh, something that, um, that has changed. Also, the things which remain to be done, it's obviously that we need to make sure the rules uh, across Europe are a bit standardized because right now uh, the rules for, for VAT, for labor law, for uh, lots of things actually are not the same from one country to the next, which means that when you scale from Europe, we talk about the European market, but uh, today it's still 27 markets and you still have to cope with 27 regulations. So this is something we have to really uh, deal with all together, all the European countries, to make sure we unify the rules, especially for the fast-growing companies, so that we help them gaining the scale they require in order to become uh, world champions. Yeah, I think that's very good commentary and also also something that's been ongoing for, for quite a while, but really important as well. Uh, just maybe going back to the French ecosystem as a final question about that. Would you agree that with most people say that the French government has been instrumental in, in sort of supporting the startup ecosystem to get to where it is today. Do you have the same sentiment? Do you think the government in France has been extremely supportive, more supportive than most most other European countries? Yeah, it's, it's always uh, tough to compare, but for sure uh, our governments, uh, especially since the arrival of Macron, President Macron has been uh, uh, very, very positive for uh, the ecosystem itself, the startups. There's been a lot of things done to attract international capital, to show to startups that they are important for the future of the country, uh, either through consideration or uh, the French tech visa as well, which helps uh, importing talent uh, from abroad, but also with uh, with money. It's really important. Uh, like a few years ago, maybe five or, or eight years ago, uh, being an entrepreneur was still something a bit uh, unusual. Not weird, but like a, a career path, which was questioned. Uh, today, it's uh, really becoming uh, a lot more common. The young generation want to create companies. They do, and they do super good companies as well. And they also do companies which are compatible with the, uh, the world that is coming, especially with climate change and, and things like that. So it's, uh, it's a very positive sign. And I think, uh, yeah, the help of uh, the support of the government, uh, both in terms of uh, what they've said and, and the support they've shown and the money they've injected has been instrumental in this. Great. And why do you think it's so difficult to get to get this done on a European level as well? Why is it so difficult to get um, on a European level these these institutions aware about you know the importance of tech, not just from a job growth perspective, but also you know from a societal advancement perspective? Is it is it really that much of a challenge to get? to get these uh, European governments aligned. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and I think it's not uh, only on tech, but it's on all topics. Uh, the uh, challenge we have um, as Europe is really to make sure we unify our decisions. 
and we synchronize uh, everything. That's uh, the main difficulty. Uh, so we see it in tech, but we see it in, in other domain as well. So it's really uh, making sure that it, uh, everything becomes so crystal clear that uh, the decisions we have to take all together are the ones which will help the entire uh, European ecosystem. And also maybe which hasn't helped uh, enough so far in showing that tech is creating jobs is that uh, the tech giants themselves have grown. Uh, I mean, the, the, the US tech giants, for example, the real uh, big ones have scaled so much that uh, they have created lots of jobs for them, but they haven't created as many jobs uh, for for uh, the companies in which they've expanded, uh, like uh, the European countries. So we don't see all the benefits here of the job creation of tech, as we can see, uh, of course, uh, in, uh, in other areas of the world where they have invested a lot in tech and they are now getting all the, um, the importance and also the uh, economic value uh, out of this investment. Yeah, um, you very, very correctly pointed out that there is a need for standardization and unification of uh, things like labor law, uh, taxation and, and other aspects of, uh, of regulation. Uh, but what do you think is the low hanging fruit here? What, what are some of the things that the European government theoretically could do tomorrow uh, to help European tech companies scale up? So what, what we had been uh, suggesting was to make uh, a status of European company, which companies really want to use. Uh, at least the new companies could create, could be created with this uh, status and get uh, a unified way to employ and to operate in Europe um, so that they don't have to fight the difficulty of establishing in a new country and basically creating a new company each time you want to uh, establish in a new country. You know, this is a, the expression I used the, the other day. It's like creating a, a startup a hype hyper-growth uh, startup uh, in the U.S. is like uh, running a 100 meters race, but creating a hyper-growth startup out of Europe is like running a 110 meters hurdle race. You have to yeah. just uh, almost create a new company each time you cross a border. Uh, so sure, the European market is uh, as big, if not, if not bigger, uh, in terms of number of people than the, uh, the, the U.S. market but it's not unified. So it's not um, a playground on which we can run super fast. Yeah. And I remember being on a panel discussion with you at the European Parliament actually last year, uh, where talent was the, the main topic and, and the retention of talent here in Europe, uh, being able to attract the best talent, not just to found companies, but also to help scale them up, um, is, is a really big topic, more than, than capital or, or any other like infrastructure or any other aspect. I think talent is the key. To, to growing the European tech ecosystem. So if you had your way, what would you change to make it easier for tech scale-ups to hire the right people to retain them and, and to kickstart new companies down the line? Well, have some sort of call, a European tech call that says to anyone on earth who is uh, really interested in uh, building the, the future of uh, uh, tech and also in a responsible way, meaning envisaging that you are creating something which is good for the future, which takes uh, into account climate change and all the challenges that we have ahead as a generation. 
then Europe is a good place and you could have a European visa to work in a, at a tech company that could be possibly uh, easier to obtain. We've done that in France with the French tech visa. There could be a European tech visa. That would be a good solution as well. And then maybe also have a unified stock market so that the European companies can be all uh, on the same uh, stock market and, and it becomes more readable from um, other areas of the world. If you want to invest uh, in Europe, uh, in, in tech companies and make the, the grid uh, clearer for everybody. And yeah, anything that can unify also the rules uh, on the European scale will help for sure. Uh, and then the, the money will, will come in. It does, uh, it begins to, to be uh, more important like every year in the tech sector. And France is, is, uh, is heading in the very right direction. But uh, still, we, uh, the, the amounts don't compare with what is invested today uh, in, in the US, for example. Yeah, those are some very good points. Uh, one other aspect that I think uh, we should mention or we should talk about is employee retention uh, by rewarding them either with stock options or other means of uh, uh, sort of creating value for them down the line. Um, so that's a huge challenge in Europe. We all know that. Uh, but is it getting better? Is it uh, getting easier to reward early employees and investors for that matter for their, you know, the, the risk that they take? Yeah, well, there is no European uh, scheme as well for the uh, retention packages. And uh, so, which means that uh, at a company like Blablaca, when we uh, distributed uh, stock options to, um, or equivalents to uh, just about anyone in the company, uh, we, we had to work on it like for, for a full year uh, from an administrative standpoint to make sure that uh, it would be possible for everybody, uh, regardless of their nationality. So um, unifying the, um, the, the scheme for distributing stock options is a very important point and also making sure that it, it is uh, an incentive uh, that is really taken into account by employees as being a future value which will be uh, worth uh, something, uh, meaning that you are able to distribute stock options at uh, a price which is uh, very attractive at the moment you distribute them compared to the hyper growth that you're expecting in your company. So it is uh, indeed a very important point. There has been a very good report made by Index uh, Ventures about this, which is called Not Optional. Last year and the year before, they've been working for several years on this. And uh, yeah, all the points are mentioned in this report for, for people who are interested. It's a very uh, important report. And especially for the people who are making the regulations, I think, uh, it's a good book to read. Yep, uh, very much agreed. And I think we need to uh, keep sending that book and that message to, to everyone uh, with some power in Europe. Uh, so maybe just to conclude the conversation, I know you also care a lot about, you also already mentioned climate change, but sustainability in general is something that I know you care about. Um, so what are you doing or what can be done to help European tech companies think more and be more active in, in becoming more sustainable? I think it's it's an opportunity. We should see that as an opportunity to place uh, Europe one step ahead, because we we have the opportunity to become the world's leading nation and continent in technological solutions, which are capable of uh, meeting the climate and social challenges, and it's also um, the best mission you could dream of. Uh, so it makes more sense to to make a quantum leap towards this uh, meaningful technology. 
that serves uh, um, the, the, the real challenges and, and the energy transition and the circular economy and the social inclusion than to uh, fight head-on-head uh, head with uh, GAFAM because we, we are late on this technology, but the European values themselves are able to carry uh, some deepness uh, that we should express and technology can help us express uh, those values and this is the opportunity for Europe. So we should see uh, this, um, these challenges as an opportunity uh, for Europe to, uh, to position itself as a leader in this domain. Great. Well, I can't help but agree with almost everything that you've said in the last 20 minutes. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing your insights. I hope it was insightful for the listeners as well. Uh, Frederick, thank you so much for your time and uh, all the best with uh, both Blablacar and the France Digital. You're welcome. Thank you, Robin. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. I am going to talk to you next Monday. Until then, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.